0: welcome to conversations with thought leaders here's your host david webley good morning everyone thanks for joining us it's um wednesday the 22nd of july just just gone 8am in melbourne where i am and Vince joining us from you're back in adelaide i believe in having relocated from southern california when when we last spoke
1: it's so good to be back here. I've eaten about five pies and three parsleys and many sausage rolls. It's great to be back.
0: <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Welcome home. Um, so communication has always been so important, never more important as we're in the, the new norm and more of us than ever before are working remotely and indeed communicating remotely. So delighted to welcome Vin to talk about amplifying your message today. Um, by way of introductions, my name is David Webley. I'm the founder and managing director of Granite Consulting. So, If you're looking to take your career to the next level or you're interested in understanding what some of the best and brightest uh, businesses in the world are doing to attract and retain talent, please get in touch with me. Um, I'm also the co-founder of Conversations with Thought Leaders, which is this platform we've created to connect our community with amazing ideas and inspiration from across the world. Um, if you could take a minute to follow us on our new LinkedIn page, websites to follow, it would be greatly appreciated. For those that don't know Vin, so Vin had six months to graduate, to graduate on his degree in commerce and law, and he left university to start an online um, magic business. Um, that in turn has become part of 52, 52 cards, serving uh, 800,000 students from across the world. And that took him to the US and also resulted in him being recognized as a young, young entrepreneur of the year in Australia. Um, the lightbulb moment, if there was one, I'm sure there would be many over the years, um, was Robert Houdin's quote, who is the father of the modern style of conjuring. Um, and he said, a magician is an actor playing the part of the magician. So once Vin understood the meaning behind this quote, he started to focus his energies on studying the art of performance, not the art of presentation. And for the last 15 years, he's been mastering this art art of performance-enhanced communication, helping thousands of professionals and businesses across the world to learn these skills. He's also the CEO of Luminary Productions, which is a a video and content creation business for individuals and companies across the world. Um, And he uses magic as a metaphor. Um, So without further ado, welcome Vin, welcome home, as I said, and I'll hand over to you.
1: Thanks David, great summary, and I love that you did your research on the father of magic, it's brilliant. So look, welcome everyone. Before I kind of, I guess, dive into it, you've heard a bit of my introduction from from David there, in that I did quit university with six months to go. Probably thinking, wonder what Vin's dad said, you know? He didn't fulfill the Asian prophecy of becoming a doctor, an accountant, or a lawyer. And I remember when I told my parents I wanted to quit, I remember him looking at me going, what in the hell, you want to be the Harry Potter? One of the reasons why I hate Harry Potter so much in my life. But you see, I I did quit that to pursue a career in the world of magic. And what's really interesting is that in the world of magic, magicians have this flawed belief. We We have this belief that if we become technically brilliant, and I mean technically brilliant, our technical skill, our technical knowledge, our technical experience, if we excel in that area, we're going to become successful. And we think that's the only thing we need is technical skill, technical knowledge, and technical experience. So then as a result of this false belief, magicians tend to pursue uh, sleight of hand and spend thousands of hours on sleight of hand. I did this. And the more I did this, the more I thought I'd become successful. However, that didn't happen. So what I'm going to show you now, I want you to join me over here, is I want to share with you an experience of sleight of hand. And it's just going to be sleight of hand, nothing else. There's another ingredient that is critical to success, not only as a magician, but I believe as a professional, regardless of the industry you're in. So there's one more ingredient. However, I'm going to show you technical ability alone first. So one of the most technically difficult things to do in the world of magic, especially in sleight of hand with playing cards, is to take four aces and to lose them in the pack and then to find them. So I will show you, obviously, the the cards are, you know, they're all different. They're not all aces otherwise. Uh, This trick would be crap if it was. So four aces, I'll put them in four different places. So I want you to watch very carefully. Uh, The first one goes there. Second one, somewhere in the middle. Next one, a bit further down. All going into the pack, all different places. So do watch carefully. And you can appreciate that they're all in different places. So we're going to give them a quick shuffle. Nothing funny happening. I know people, this is not in real life, so you think I'm doing sleight of hand, but I'm genuinely not doing that yet. So from now, Nothing but technical ability. Looks like this. You see, that there is how magicians use sleight of hand and technical ability alone. So again, I spent thousands of hours doing this, trying to to build up my technical skill and, and to become successful as a magician because I thought that was the way to success. And no matter how hard I practice my technical ability and again, technical skill, technical experience, technical knowledge, no matter how well I built that bank, I didn't become successful because there's one more ingredient and what you've got to realize is that I started to learn that I may be a 10 out of 10 technically, a 10 out of 10, but if my ability to communicate is only a 3 out of 10, then do people perceive me to be a 10 out of 10 or a 3 out of 10? And the reality is you are only as good as you can communicate. So as you can kind of understand and see now, it's that you don't only need technical skill, you actually need communication skills. And magicians call communication skills showmanship. It's a bit more fancy. So now I wanna give you an example of communication skills paired with the technical skill that you just saw before. And just kind of see the different experience that you experience as you watch I, me do what I do. So again, i bring you back over here. So again, this is gonna be a little fun piece of magic and I highly recommend you engage with me in the chat section. I can see the screen over there. So again, I'm gonna ask you to play a game with me. So the game is very simple. You have to keep track of the king of hearts. So don't take your eyes off the king of hearts. Watch very carefully. King of hearts. Don't take your eyes off it. One, two, three. Now just type into the chat section, what card do you think that is? If you think it's a king, type K. So type K if you think that's a king. You see, if you, if you think this is a king, um, well, unfortunately, it's correct. It is the king. I'm I'm just building suspense, of course it is. There's only one card, of course it's the king. But you see, now I'm gonna make it a bit more difficult. Now there's a king and an eight. Don't watch the eight, watch the king. So if I take the king now, watch carefully. What card do you think I'm holding? So again, type eight or type the the, the, K for the king. If If you think I'm holding the king, type K. If you think I'm holding the eight, type eight. Now if you think I'm holding the eight, well, you're wrong is actually the king because the eight is here. Now with two, it's 50-50, but with three cards, this is when it truly becomes almost impossible for people to keep track of. Two eights and a king. Watch carefully, focus on the king, focus on the king. If I leave the king on the table, don't take your eyes off the king. But you see, if you didn't see it, I've already taken the king, and what's on the table is now actually the eight. Now let's do that again in slow motion. In slow motion, it looks like this. I'll, I'll leave the eight on the table. Watch the king, don't take your eyes off the king. Once, tw- watch the king carefully, once, twice, thrice. Now I tell you to watch the king so that you don't watch this card. Because what did I have? The, no, I, I actually have the eight because the king is now actually on the table. You're going to have to watch the replay of this. So now if I take the king and I put it in my pocket, Don't take your eyes off this. Two eights. There's the first eight, there's the second eight. What if I told you all, even though you're watching this intensely, I can go to my pocket in a moment, I can palm the king, and I can switch the king for the eight and the eight for the king. Now if I can do this, would you be impressed? Hopefully you're typing yes, because if you would be impressed, then I'll do it. So right now you don't know what to watch. Do you watch my pocket? Do you, I mean, do you watch my left hand? My left hand would be your right hand because the camera flips things. Or would you, be, would you watch my right hand, which is your left again? So again, or do you look at me when I speak? How do you watch everything when it's already done? It's power of misdirection because obviously then in my pocket would have to be the eight. Now, in this game, they always let you win once. They go, oh, look, fine, I'll let you win one game. So they, so they actually give you the king. And do you know why they give you the king? So build your confidence so you bet more money but also magicians ask you questions so that you have to go into your head to fetch the answer internally, therefore distracting you uh, in the present. Because you didn't see it go, did you? You, you? Again, you definitely have to watch the replay for that one because the king's actually in my pocket. And the card on the table is actually the eight. So the million dollar question now, this is the million dollar question. The million dollar question is, if I take the king and I genuinely take the king, leave it on the table, even show you this card, put this in my pocket now, The million dollar question is what card do you think is on the table? I'll give you a moment to type that. For those of you who uh, are jumping ahead and think it's the eight, very good. If you think it's the eight, very good, because this is when you're wrong and I use reverse psychology. (laughs) So now, the last component of this trick is very simple. Uh, If I want you to win, I would always give you the king. So if I want you to win, I would always give you the king. Do you think I want you to win? And the answer is simply, yes, I do. That's the king there. And I mean, how can you lose now, if you think about it, how can you lose with a magician as your friend? They're all kings. There are no eights to begin with. That's an example, again, of technical skill with showmanship. And the experience is far superior. Even though the sleight of hand in the technical ability component in the beginning, that was way more difficult sleight of hand. This was actually simpler sleight of hand that you can see the difference. Showmanship enhances, communication skills enhances the way people perceive our value and our technical skill. Back to the other camera. So then I started to realize again, well, I've spent so much of my time building just technical skill alone. The moment I started building my ability to communicate and I started building my showmanship, my magic career completely transformed and it completely changed. And when you're talking about communication skills, because I want to be able to add as much value as I can to all of you, when you're talking about communication skills, there's, there's two areas we immediately think of. And the first area is our visual image. So your visual image is the way you dress, and it's also the way you come across with your body language. That's our visual image. We tend to spend a lot of time here. You know, grooming ourselves, making sure our hair is right, or the way we dress looks good, and we use a mirror to adjust our visual image. But the second area of communication skills is where I find a lot of my students don't spend enough time on, and that's their vocal image. Maybe this is the first time you've even heard those two words put together, vocal and image, but your vocal image is very important as well. And people form an image of who you are in their head the moment you speak. The moment you speak, they start to create assumptions about who you are as a person. Not just when they see you, but when they hear you, they also form an opinion. Because when they see you, if you dress well, they may create great assumptions about who you are. But the moment you speak, those assumptions can change for the better or for the worse. And when it comes to vocal image, There's an area that I want to share with you that I call vocal foundations. So let's dive into the vocal foundations so we can learn how to style ourselves in the way that we want to be able to come across. I often say this, when you learn this technique and when you learn the record and review technique I'm about to teach you, what you're creating essentially is a mirror for yourself vocally. And for some people, they have not looked into a vocal mirror for many, many years, So you could metaphorically have something stuck in your teeth and you don't know it. So let's kind of once and for all dive into the the vocal foundations and learn how to style ourselves vocally, to better better amplify the best parts of who we are. And to do that, I I wanna invite you to join me over here. Vocal foundations. If you have a pad and paper, old school, please take these notes down. So let's get into the vocal foundations. Vocal foundations. Now, there are five core vocal foundations. The first one I'm gonna introduce you to is, uh, again, it's rate of speech. Rate of speech. Now, when it comes to rate of speech, I, I fundamentally believe in experiential learning. So imagine I, I kind of came on this broadcast with you all and, and did the following. Imagine, imagine I came on and I went, hi, it's great to be here. Thank you so much for having, you're probably freaking out and going to check out what's happening on the YouTube tab. So again, we understand that if I stick to a default very slow rate of speech is not engaging. But also, this is bad too. I mean, if I if I came on and I went, hi everyone, it's really good to see you. Can't wait to take you through the five core communication foundations. I used to be a magician, and that's how I learned that you can't just get good technically, you also have to get good with the chairmanship. And I maintained that for the next hour we spent together. Again, that default rate of speech is not engaging either. Now, what's really intriguing is that Even if I stuck to a fairly engaging rate of speech like this, and I maintain this throughout the next 45 minutes, after a while, this also rather becomes quite monotonous, doesn't it? What that reveals to us is that any default rate of speech is bad. And the the, the critical thing to understand here is that as we communicate, we must vary our rate of speech. That's what makes our communication as a leader more engaging and more influential is that you vary your rate of speech. And here's a great rule of thumb to keep in mind. When you're talking about something that is very important, slow down. Now I'm I'm saying nothing important here, but doesn't it seem critical? And then if what you're talking about is not that important, you can kind of use a faster rate of speech and move over it. And just having that simple rule of thumb there allows you to, to vary your rate of speech with meaning. So that's the first foundation, okay? The second foundation is volume. Now volume, this is the lifeblood of your voice. It's the lifeblood of your voice. And when, you, when I look at volume, I, I look at it as a scale of from one to 10. and. Right now, I'm using about a five to a six. And when you use about a five to a six volume, it, it brings across many wonderful traits. So when I use a five or a six volume, right now, you, you most likely perceive me to be fairly confident. Uh, you, you perceive me to have good vitality. You, you perceive great authority when someone has a good use of volume. And also, one of the most powerful things about volume is that it helps you come across as if you, you genuinely believe in the things that you're saying. These wonderful qualities come across when we have volume in our voice. So again, I believe in, in experiential learning. So imagine, imagine I did this, imagine I came on and... Uh, <clears throat> good morning everyone, it's, it's really good to be here. I'm uh, super excited, I can't wait to, to share with you everything I, I have to know about communication. And, and you see, no matter how, 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 how I push this, it, it doesn't seem like I, I'm that confident. I don't seem to have that much authority, no matter how, you know, I believe in the things that I'm saying. It just, it lacks that quality, because again, volume is the lifeblood of your voice. A lot of my students, when they come to me, they tend to be at about a three out of 10 volume. Just by pushing it up a bit more, they completely change the way they come across. That is the foundation of volume. Now, the next one, the next one is pitch and or melody. Melody, pitch and melody. And we've got to do a very simple thought experiment here. And the thought experiment is the following. I, I want you to think of a, uh, all of you, think of a book that you've read, uh, that you love and adore, that you've read multiple times. So think of that book. And if I asked you now to recite for me, word for word, one page in that book without getting one word wrong, could you do it? The answer is probably no, otherwise you'd be a freak. Now, let me ask you another question. Think of a song that you love and adore, that you sing often. Any song. And if I asked you to repeat for me, word for word, every word in that song, could you do it? And the answer is probably yes. Yes. And you have to ask yourself, well, why can you recite a song, yet not a page in the book? A song has roughly 300 words, and a page in the book has roughly 300 words. The reason we can recite a song is because a song has melody. So what that tells us is that when you add more melody to your voice, what you say becomes more memorable. What you say becomes more memorable. And when we look at leadership, we we tend to talk about the word influence a lot because if you're a leader and you're not influential, you know, there's an argument, are are you a leader? So to me, to become more influential, firstly, you need to become more memorable because if people don't remember the things you say, then you're not influential. So the pragmatic way to become more memorable is to add more melody to your voice. So you add more melody, you become more memorable, you become more influential, you therefore become a more impactful leader. Now, I'm gonna, I'm gonna push melody a little bit more because it's, it's a very critical foundation. So I'm gonna throw you over to my slides. And I want you to listen to this piano track. And I want you to type into the chat section for me. Type for me how these piano tracks make you feel. So type some words down for me. Here we go, I'm gonna, I'm gonna look at the chat section. So. Here we go, have a listen, and type what words come to mind when you listen to it. Ah, I love it. I see dream, sad, thoughtful, kind of melancholy, relaxed, romantic, calm. Lovely, lovely, I love that, thank you. So let's, let's try another song. I want you to listen to this next song, and, and thank you for engaging with me in the chat section. And let's listen to this song now and tell me how this makes you feel. Oh, I love seeing the comments kind of stream in. It's fantastic. So inspiring, you know, hopeful, uh, energetic, beautiful. This is, this is a really interesting concept because here's the thing, none of those piano tracks that I played for you had any words. How did you know how to feel? What that tells us is that there's a world of meaning that lives underneath the melody that lives underneath your voice. There's a melody that lives underneath your voice. This is why some people say, oh, when, when so-and-so walks into the room, they just kind of lift the room. And this is also why they say some speakers are inspirational, yet some aren't so inspirational. Or some leaders are so inspirational and some that aren't. And it's generally, it comes down to the melody that lives underneath their voice. So to me, please become aware of this. And I'm going to teach you a self-awareness technique later so you can discover what melody lives underneath your voice. So you can kind of avoid, you know, you you know, there's a certain melody that comes in and just, hi, everyone. It's, uh, it's Monday and uh, it's five days till Friday. You know, we, we all know there's certain people like this and, and the melody can just kind of, oh, it can just suck the life out of us because it's like, again, listening to a sad song, it makes us feel sad. Let's move into the fourth foundation. And, and if I had to pick a foundation that I thought was the most critical, I would say it's this one here. So the fourth one, fourth foundation is tonality tonality. And tonality is the emotion that lives underneath your voice, different to the melody. This is the emotion that lives underneath your voice. So please genuinely try this with me. I I want you to, even though you're sitting in your homes or your offices and and you might be surrounded by your family members or colleagues, just do this anyway. In the world of psychology, they, they say there are six core human emotions. You've got happy, sad, disgust, surprise, angry, and fearful. So they say these are the six core human emotions, and each one of these human core human emotions has a facial expression associated with it. So I want you to try this for me. I want you to do a, do a really sad face, and please don't half-ass this. Uh, go, go both cheeks, okay? So I want you to make a really sad face, really sad face. Come on, sad And in a moment, we're all gonna say, as I count down from three, just say out loud, just just say good morning, everyone, but with a really sad face, okay? So, So three, two, one, good morning, everyone. So if you did this, notice how you sounded. You sounded awful, you sounded terrible, you sounded miserable, okay? So we're gonna try the exact same thing, except this time, I want you to have a big smile on your face, kind of slightly serial killer smile. So have a big smile on your face, and in three, two, one, we'll say good morning, everyone, again. So, big smile, and in three, two, one, good morning, everyone. I hope you notice the difference. What that tells us, what that tells us is that, and please, this is, this is a, a big, kind of, big kind of aha moment. I hope this happens for you as it happened for me when I learned this. But what this tells us is that if we want to add more emotion into the way we communicate, we need to move our face. Most people don't realize this, but when they're when they're working with sometimes clients or sometimes when they get really nervous in front of a group of people, what tends to happen is that they communicate with a blank face, a blank face. And a blank face is a face where, to give you a direct example of this, I'm gonna come a little bit close. But a blank face is, again, it's just, you know, I communicate with a blank face, not realizing that, uh, again, there's no expression here. And imagine you, you had me on here communicating like this to you for the next, again, 30 minutes, and, and we just maintain this again, and there's no variety here. I believe in experiential learning. So this is what happens when someone hasn't looked in a vocal mirror for a while. Can you see what I mean? So this is why tonality is so important and when, and when you meet someone and, and you go, oh, this person seems so, so, they seem so charismatic or they seemed as if they, they seemed very authentic, a lot of authenticity is correlated with someone being able to express their emotions rather freely. And if you've, got a, if you've got a blank face, then, you know, it doesn't seem like you express any emotion. Therefore, this person doesn't seem very authentic. So to me... Please be conscious of this and a lot, this is the biggest thing that I find if you fix this, it really does change the way you come across. So so again, just be aware, move your face more. If you wanna move people when you communicate, move your face. And a simple way of putting it is that your face is the remote control that allows you to inject emotion into your communication. Change the channel sometimes, otherwise uh, we tend to get stuck in (laughs) Another type of face, it's called RBF. If you don't know what that means, just Google it. RBF, resting something face. The final foundation. The final foundation is the pause. Isn't that lovely, isn't it refreshing? The pause is something most people are afraid of. However, when you pause, you give people time to process what you've just said. When you pause, you give yourself time to listen in case people need further clarity. And one of the most powerful things that happens when you get very comfortable with, when you get comfortable with that, what it does is it helps you remove all the ums and the ahs from your speech. So often, it's not our fault. We haven't been taught these things in formal education. But the thing is, the ums and the ahs, they decrease the clarity of your message. It takes away so much from your authority and from the way people perceive you as an expert. So what's really important is you need to experience this. Because imagine I was speaking to all of you and, you know, I'm... I was going through uh, the, the, uh, the, vo- the vocal foundations and, and um, you know, do, do you know what I mean? When you, when you like uh, talk about rate and um, uh, volume as well and, and you know, like you're probably going mad and rightly so, because what it does is that auditory clutter, it decreases the clarity of my communication. Yet again, if you got comfortable with the pause and you eliminated these non-words and the filler words, That increases the clarity of your message, therefore increasing the impactfulness of your communication, making you more influential. These are the five core foundations. And again, you can make it more complex or keep it this simple. I believe simplicity is distilled wisdom. And when you see a great communicator, what they're doing is they've mastered these five core foundations. They've mastered these five core foundations. They didn't get good at it, they mastered it. And the last thing I'm going to share with you now before we dive into Q&A with, uh, with David is I want to share with you a self-awareness technique that's going to allow you to really style yourself. This is this is metaphorically now me showing you how to create a vocal uh, mirror, a vocal and visual mirror for yourself. And this I call this record and review. It's a very, very simple and straightforward record and review, record and review. Now... The first thing you need to do when you're going through this process is you need to record a five-minute video of yourself on your phone speaking. So record a five-minute video. A five-minute video, okay? And you could just be talking about your day, what you had for lunch, what you did yesterday, talk about a passion that you have, and just talk kind of nonstop for five minutes, and preferably you're standing while you're doing this. And then once you've recorded the video, again, it's called record and review, so the first component is record. Now we review the video in three different ways. And the first time you review the video, the first time, you take the video and you turn the sound all the way up and then you turn your phone over so you cannot see yourself. Because what you're doing is, you're doing an auditory review. So you're doing an auditory review. And then listen to yourself. And as you're listening to yourself, go through the foundations. How's my rate of speech? Am I speaking too quickly? That's making me come across as if I'm nervous. Am I not varying my rate of speech? How's my volume? How's my pitch variety? Melody? What melody lives underneath my voice? How about my tonality? Am I I moving my face? Am I pausing enough? to give people time to absorb what I'm saying. So take a whole bunch of notes. And what you're essentially doing here is you're building self-awareness on how you come across to others. So you can slowly pick one thing at a time to improve, vocally. What are the bits of greens you have in your teeth, metaphorically speaking? This is what helps you pick them up to build self-awareness. Now, the second way you review it is you want to turn the audio off. So you watch it a second time. Turn the audio off and then just look at yourself. And here you're doing a visual review. It's a visual review. So have a look. And again, this is what you pay particular attention to. Before I didn't hear any tonality. I didn't hear any emotional changes in my voice. And then when you look at it and you're doing a visual review, you go, oh, it's because I didn't move my face. I need to move my face. Maybe something with your hands, you keep putting them in your pockets. Maybe you keep holding your hands like this and nobody does this while they're communicating, but I'm just saying, look for those visual ticks or the, I mean, we've we've spoken about auditory clutter. What about visual clutter? Are you doing things with your hands that distract people from your message? Are you kind of leaning on one foot? Are you kind of, you know, not well balanced? Take some notes, build awareness. And the final one, is this time you're not watching and you're not listening. This time you get the video or the audio transcribed. So get it transcribed. Get it transcribed. And when you get it transcribed, sit there with a highlighter and whichever transcription service you use, make sure while you're getting it transcribed, you check the boxes that say leave in the sounds get them to transcribe the sounds and the filler words. So they'll actually transcribe everything as is. When you get it back, grab a yellow highlighter because using any other color is crazy, but use a yellow highlighter and go through it and start to highlight and build self-awareness on what your non-words are. Um, uh, uh, uh. Build self-awareness. And then also build self-awareness on, and this is a critical one, on what your filler words are. Words you use over and over and over again. For me, it used to be okay. I used to say okay at the end of almost every sentence. It was, it was really, really frustrating. Okay? Oh, I feel so good to do that. But I need to stop. I need to stop doing that. So now you're building self-awareness on so many levels, auditory-wise, visually, and also with the content, your words that you're using. This process, if you do it once a week and you do it for the next 10 weeks, this completely cleans up the way you communicate. 10 iterations of this completely cleans up the way you come across. It improves your visual image and your vocal image. All right. Well, look, I've, uh, I've spoken a lot. This is just, uh, I believe this is something very fundamental if you want to improve the way you come across. Thank you all so much for listening so intently and and really you're you're forced to, but uh, I'd love to throw this back now to David as we engage in a bit of Q and A.
0: Yeah, awesome, Vin. Really, really fascinating. Um, See, so yeah, We've got about 20 minutes or so, and we've got questions coming in thick and fast. But um, just a few things, and, and if we can just wind it back to start with. So in 2013, when you were awarded Entrepreneur of the Year in South Australia, I read something that really uh, I found fascinating, and, and the quote um, from your father and his brothers saying, it is I who determines my limitations, and my past does not dictate my future. Do you mind sharing a bit about the story of your family behind this philosophy and your backdrop?
1: Yeah, absolutely. My, my parents are refugees from Vietnam and, and my dad is a very inspirational person in my life as well as my mum. And, and my dad's got, he's got seven brothers and they've always allowed their history for a big part of their lives to dictate the way they see what's possible for them in the future. And when they came to Australia, it was amazing seeing my dad grow up because one of the most inspirational things that I saw my dad and and his brothers do was that all the brothers worked on the farm and they did farming. They sacrificed their own education. They, They weren't going to go to school because they couldn't afford to send every one of the brothers to school. So they all went to school. They all went to the farm, except one brother, the youngest. So they sent him to university and high school to study. So they all worked to save money for him and and this is just to give you an idea of what it was like growing up. So all of them worked for his future and my my uncle got into pharmacy, it's a four year degree. He took nine years to complete that because he didn't know English but somehow still managed to complete the degree. It was an incredible journey but then all the brothers paid for that and at the end of it, they saved up enough money to, to help him buy his first pharmacy. And with no expectation of anything in return, just kind of this, this wonderful kind of we are the stepping stone for, for our family. And then the youngest brother kind of helped out all the other brothers in return by helping them buy property and, and learn about property and learn about investing. And, and I've seen them build great businesses together. You know, they built one of Australia, South Australia's first Asian groceries and, you know, restaurants and pharmacies. And it's, in, it's incredible to watch their journey. And when I asked them, how were you able to do all of that? And is that... They innately, it's kind of funny that I'm into magic, but they innately believed that anything truly was possible for them and that their past did not dictate their future. And that's kind of, kind of how I've decided to live and and, 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 and this is what I think as well, David. I may get to the end of my life and, and you know, you meet the higher beings or whatever's up there and they say, oh, you're wrong. Anything isn't possible. You've spread the wrong message. It's actually, I'm okay with that because I'd, I'd rather live believing that anything is possible. Otherwise, what's the alternative, right? Yeah. yeah
0: fantastic, and I, I, was, um, I really enjoyed your recent post on LinkedIn where you're talking about, you know, redefining the garage in your life. Can you talk to us a bit about <laughs> the garage in your, in your life, which hopefully makes sense of that random comment?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, in 2000 and about, I think 2012, I was about half a million dollars in debt a failed online business, spent way too much money on Google AdWords. And I had to move out of my own property and live in my mum and dad's garage because I was in so much debt. And my, my, my wife now, but my girlfriend at the time, we moved and lived in my parents' garage for almost three years. So the garage for me for a long time represented a place of failure, dismal failure, very kind of depressing environment. And as I came back to South Australia, I, I, I lived in the US for the last three and a half years, Where you see me right now, you may not be able to tell, but I'm in the garage. So sitting in my own garage now, when I just got back, I had a bit of a panic attack because America represented a fairly successful part of my life. And coming back here, I'm like, oh no, I'm back in the garage. So to me, the post I wrote on LinkedIn was about how I had to reframe what the garage meant to me now. It means to me now, and and the garage to me now means a place of exploration. I mean, I've set up an entire virtual studio that you've just experienced. So it's a place of exploration, it's a place of innovation, and it's a place where I get to build a business around my life, as opposed to I've always built my life around my business. You know, I finished this with you all. I'm eight steps away from a wonderful breakfast with my family and my, you know, my baby boy and my wife. I used to have to fly as a keynote speaker I flew about 180 days a year. So now I'm, I haven't been home as much as this for the last three years of my life. So to me, the garage now represents a wonderful place that allows me to live the life I want. So it's a, it's a great reframe.
0: Yeah, fantastic. And I think, you know, it's, it's, it's gold really, talking about the relationship between business, the work we do, our lives, and there's a chance to really reimagine all of that. And, you know, as you said, you have been uh, very successful in the US for the, the last several years and with the pandemic and uh, you know one of your businesses being keynote speaking clearly there's been a fundamental impact to <laughs> that business so can you talk to us about what you've done to adapt to the new world and is that part of the reason why you've come back to Australia?
1: Look well, first of all, coming back to Australia for me represents making a decision based on happiness, not wealth creation. I think one of the biggest problems with me coming from a refugee family, and, and, and I, don't, I can't speak for my entire Asian culture, but I, I can say that the majority of uh, people in the Asian culture do fall victim to this, is we put wealth creation as number one. And I've done that for far too long in my life. So moving back to Australia was me putting happiness as number one. This was a happiness decision, not a business decision. and. Again, when you're talking about the the keynote speaking business, uh, my business was 100% event-based. So I spoke as a keynote speaker at events and I ran my own events, I ran my own workshops live in person, purely all event-based. So by mid-March, my business didn't just slow down, it ceased to exist. So by mid-March, I had an entire diary full in the US. I had plans to be in the US for another three years. Was wiped clean. So to me, you know, in the beginning, I was like, oh, I'll be fine. I was all trying to be all Zen about it. But about by day three, I, was, I was had <laughs> a moment where I cried to my wife in panic. I was thinking, oh shit, what am I gonna do? So then to me, all my entrepreneurial traits kicked in. And thank goodness it kicked in, because if it didn't, I, I wouldn't know what to do. But again, that entrepreneurial mindset kicked in, just again, the wonderful thing about magic is—is is magic. Sorry to jump here, but it makes sense. The reason why magic has has been amazing for me is that magic, when you define it, magic is just the problem you can't solve. So if I if I did something right, if I if I if I moved you over here, I, I like examples. But if I moved you over here, and I showed you a trick, and let's say I showed you a simple trick like this: one, two, three. And to you, when you look at this little card trick, uh, what is it? I mean, A trick is really just a problem you can't solve. You, You can't solve that problem from where you're looking at it. But if I showed you a different perspective of it, you probably could solve it. You probably could solve it now, looking at it from a different perspective. So what magic teaches you is that no matter how impossible something looks, there's always a solution. And the way you find that solution is by looking at it from a different perspective. So when I when I experienced this problem of, oh, my keynote speaking career is gone, I just felt, look, it's only a problem because I'm looking at it from one point of view. So I started looking at the problem from many different vantage points, and that's when I, I you know, again, looked at it from the vantage point of videographers, looked at it from the vantage point of online educators, and I realized that, no, this is not the end, but rather this is an opportunity for an age-old industry to finally innovate And finally step up and raise the bar and do something better and different online. So then I I called videographers, I called online educators, I got their perspectives and I built and learnt how to run and operate my own virtual studio.
0: And I guess it's, you know, for yourself as a magician moving into the other businesses that that you've built and the other things you do, I guess it's recognising, you know, magic as a passion. So you may be passionate about leading people or managing change or delivering you know key programs of work or building the best technology in the world and I guess it's that passion and that intrinsic love for something through because clearly you know magic in the medium is more mainstream than maybe you know software development in terms of the world knowing about it on mass so I guess it's making sure you get the passion that you have in your subject through to the community and the
1: audience you're working with. And you're absolutely right. And and, and again, when you're talking about passion, think about how people perceive someone who's passionate. Again, we perceive, when we say somebody is passionate, what we're talking about and complimenting there is the way they use their voice to talk about the thing they do. Yep. And this is something very insightful that I learned from my singing teacher. And again, I, I, I'm not a singer. I, I learned vocal, I learned voice techniques to, to really learn how to become a more effective communicator. But my singing teacher always said, your voice is your personality. And, and when I heard that, I was like, what? And, and it didn't really make sense. But, but, but now it truly, uh, I think it's one of the most wise things ever because it really is. I mean, when someone's complimenting your personality, they're actually complimenting the way you're using your voice. So again, and, and, you know, in, in the world of business, we tend to say, oh, people buy from people they like, and, and, and people like people based on their personalities. So to me, it's, it, it's so linked, and, and passion as well, it's, you perceive, and again, if you perceive me to be passionate, it's because of the way I'm using my voice. And, and I, can, you know, it's, it's, just, it's just the way you play music with your voice. And if you play it passionately, people perceive it that way. Otherwise, if I talked about magic like this, I probably, probably don't seem too passionate about it, do I? So again, it's you know, just giving you an example. <laughs>
0: yeah, absolutely. It's really bringing through the enthusiasm. I mean, we've got a lot of questions coming through. But I just okay. want to briefly touch on melody. Now, I loved the melody concept, and you were speaking about it. And I'm not necessarily suggesting you should form a company choir, or they maybe that is a person, <laughs> But how important do you think it is to get... A company melody as well as the individual melodies. And, you know, things like, I guess we talk about values alignment between company values, individual alignments, shared purpose, shared missions, that sort of stuff. So Can you talk to us a bit about the alignment there?
1: Oh, absolutely. Look, look I, think, I think one of the beautiful things about using music as a metaphor is that you've got to make sure that your melody with the company melody, that it harmonises, Yep. I think there's got to be harmony between your melody and the company's melody, right? And a lot of the times what you find is you'll go into a company and this happens. I've been in boardroom meetings where people bring me in to to look at the way the execs are communicating, if it's effective or not. And and you'll see that there's no harmony in that room and there's no harmony based on the values that they're not aligned. But, but more than that, even in the way they communicate, you know, there's, there's people who come in and and immediately when they come in, they have a very different kind of melody in the way they speak to their people. And then you have the other people who are just, oh, you know, so that's not harmony. And, and, and one of the beautiful things about learning the foundations, to quickly bring you back to this for a second, is that when you meet someone, if you want to harmonize with them and build exceptional rapport with them, then you've got to adjust the way you communicate to their foundation. So if I, if I met someone, like again, this is what I believe makes me, di- makes me a, a fairly dynamic communicator, how gross complimenting myself. But when I meet people, I adjust and I harmonize with them. So if I meet someone, one of my students, you know, they're very shy. If they're very shy and they're fairly quiet, if I kind of come in and go, hi, welcome, I'm Vin, great to meet you, I'm gonna freak them out. So if they're quiet, I, I adjust my volume and I come in and say, oh, hey, hey, I'm really glad you came to the class. So I still have vocal variety, but I, but I dropped down to their level just to be able to build rapport so then I can take them where they are and, and move them to where I want them to be. So to me, this concept of harmony is very important in the way you use your voice, but also make sure that you're aligned with the company values that you're a part of. Make sure you know there's alignment there. Otherwise, otherwise it would lead to a lot of misery, I think.
0: And just a, a quick point around pausing and communication. I mean, one of the things I'm hearing from a lot of people I'm speaking to, like many of us on Zoom teams, you know, BlueJeans, other forms of um, virtual communication, is it's sometimes hard to know when to segue if you can't read the audience when the other person wants to speak. You miss the anecdotes or the two-minute corridor conversations. I mean, as a child, I used to love the Dukes of Hazard, so it would be, you know, talky-talky, over. But any tips you can give, because sometimes it might feel hard to know when it's kind of your turn to speak, right?
1: Yeah, look, what, what, what I would say is, I mean, especially over Zoom, make sure you have the video on. Because when you have the video on, you can see visual cues on when someone wants to add a point. You know, generally when, when people want to say something, there's lots of visual cues, they, they lean in a little bit more, you see their face light up as if they want to say something. So that's very important. Uh, I think when you don't have the video camera on, it becomes extremely difficult when to know when someone's about to want, you know, want to contribute to the conversation. So having the video on is definitely going to be helpful. And then also just routinely, just getting into that, building the habit of pausing more frequently. And when you pause more frequently, what you're doing is you're giving other people more opportunities to jump in. Otherwise, when you don't do that, you kind of just race through and and don't give anybody any opportunities. So to me, find more opportunities to pause and invite them to speak. And it's extremely pleasant because as my wife tells me, I I talk too much.
0: So so we've got some questions coming through and um, And I don't think you've talked too much, Finn. It's been fascinating. But we'll start with a few of the questions. Um, So we've got a question from John Murch. And I know he's joining us from the UK, where it's all getting on for midnight over there. So John says, what would you say to work on first, your technical skills or your communication skills, when you're trying to improve on both?
1: You know, there's always arguments people talk about. They go, oh, should, should I, you know, am I the technical kind of team or am I the communication team? And John, you've answered that yourself, mate. The answer is both. The answer is both. And, and we tend to not approach these things with both in mind. We tend to go, oh, should I do this or should I do that? And, and when it comes to communication and technical skills and your career professionally, the answer is both. You've got to build both. And they've both got to be just as good. And to me, that is the optimal place you want to be. However, you work on them one at a time, but ideally you want both ultimately. So to me, do this record and review process. Go through this process, John. You will be, most people hate this. They never want to see themselves or watch themselves back. But again, this process, 10 times, it it, it completely changes the way you come across. And one more thing I'll say here is that if you've spent the last 10 years building technical skills, then it's worth focusing now on building your communication skills because you're probably brilliant. And as a keynote speaker, I've, I, I see this time and time again. Companies have, you know, companies have 10% of their, their people are, are high performers, 5% are high performers. And then they have got this 80% in the middle that are kind of average, and then kind of the people they need to fire on the bottom. And this group of people who are average, they're actually not average. They're technically brilliant but they're just unable to show the company how brilliant they are because of their lack of communication skills. So to me, so many companies are sitting on this pool of talent that is currently invisible. And when you teach them how to communicate more effectively, all of a sudden, instead of having like a 5% kind of top tier, you've, you've got access to this huge amount of talent that right now they're invisible because of their inability to communicate.
0: Um, got time for a couple more questions? So um, we've had a question in saying, can you give any tips for people who might be accent accented? So you know, not sp- English being your second language, or maybe even your third or fourth language.
1: Absolutely. So, so look, when it comes to when it comes to speaking. The, so you know, I have a bit of fun with my dad's accent. You know, when I'm doing my dad's accent, think about it. What am I doing? So when I say, "What the hell you want to be the Harry Potter," right? What am I doing there to have that accent? I'm moving my mouth differently. So, the reason people have an accent when they're speaking English is because, let's say, I'm Vietnamese, or my, you know, I'm Vietnamese and my dad's Vietnamese. But that accent comes across into the English language because we're, we're bringing into the English language Vietnamese mouth movements. Again, you've been speaking Vietnamese your entire life, so you're so used to a certain set of mouth movements. So what you need to do is, and again, I want to frame this by saying that I don't think accents are a bad thing. I think it's what gives us flavor. It's one of the things that people in America love so much about me is I sounded Australian. So to me, accent isn't bad. However, it is bad if it distracts people from your message. If your accent is so thick and it distracts people from your message, it's a problem. So the way to fix it with that foundational understanding that it's a set of mouth movements is that you need to learn the English set of mouth movements. And the best way to learn that, very easy, I prescribe this as a vocal pharmacist, five minutes a day. I want you to grab a book and when you're reading it, I want you to over-exaggerate your mouth movements so that you're embedding this new behavior. So again, if I was reading this with over-exaggerated mouth movements, take a step backwards so that all may see the position of the coins. And you overdo this, you overdo it. And when you overdo the mouth movements, it lightens the accent. It doesn't get rid of it, it lightens it, which enhances the clarity, therefore enhancing your communication. So again, five minutes of this, do this every day, trust me, you do this for a month, it lightens the accent, it enhances the clarity.
0: One more question, um, and then I've got a couple of closing uh, points. So some days are good and bad. This is from Weber. You might be tired, energetic. Sometimes we're just not feeling it. So how do you maintain a consistent communication style regardless of what's happening behind the scenes?
1: Firstly, I, I think multiple things are important here. Sleep, uh, nutrition, and, and definitely exercise. I, I think you've got to be healthy. The, the body has to be in good condition for you to operate at an optimal optimal state at all times, and communication is a part of that. So again, you know, make sure your nutrition is right, make sure your sleep is good, and make sure you exercise. I think these are three very important things in life. Now, the other thing is to understand something, kind of kind of a concept or a philosophy to understand, and it's that we tend to think of generosity in terms of money or time. Oh, I can be generous with my money, I can be generous with you with my time, but people don't realize that I think one of the most, one of the most important areas to be generous is with your energy and the way you communicate. You see, the way I'm communicating right now to all of you, it takes an awful lot of effort. This isn't easy, this this isn't how I, I don't sit there and talk to myself like this. I'm not as charismatic when when I'm by myself, right? But when I speak to you all, I know I have an opportunity to have impact. It's about just realizing that we can give to the people around us, our clients, our family, our communities, with our energy and the way we communicate. We, we really can give them so much through the way we communicate. Put effort into it. And as my singing teacher was, would, would always say, if you can't play it beautifully, don't play at all.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Quick one around your workshops and we're going to send out um, a link to, uh, to, to, your, to your workshops you run. But what can people expect from them? Anything further? And, you know, who would benefit? What type of individuals? What type of businesses?
1: Look, I... I've been in quarantine for the last three weeks. I had to do two weeks in a hotel and now I'm doing two weeks at home. I'm slowly losing my mind. But I've had time to really kind of crystallize my vision and my purpose. And, And my purpose, David, is I want to help people who are invisible become visible. Yep. And also, it stems from a personal side of mine. I used to be invisible uh, growing up as a as a nerdy little Asian kid. Love interests would never notice me, I'd never get picked for the sports teams, uh, job opportunities would never notice me, and promotions, you name it. I was extremely invisible. And, and now I'm just slightly outrageous, but it's probably from the desire of being invisible for so long. See me, damn it, you know? So to me, if, if you have excelled in the realm of technical skill, but you feel like people don't see you for what you have inside, then I believe I have the skills to be able to teach you, to help you shine. And, and you know, if you joined me for a workshop, for example, uh, you know, we, we go through storytelling and why storytelling is so important. We go through body language and, and move through all of the foundation of body language. We, we dive deeper into vocal mastery, so to me, we, we take you through all the foundations that I believe should have been taught in formal education. I mean, think about it. If I gave you a saxophone and I said, play me a beautiful song, you probably can't. No, can't. However, we've been given in our lives one of the most complex instruments in this world, and it came with no manual, no teacher, no coach. So again, you know, if you joined me, right now I'm doing all my workshops virtually. So you can join virtual like you've just experienced. That's why I have this studio. And I'm currently doing them uh, generally from Monday to Friday, two hours a day. And it's very interactive, uh, you know, just because it's virtual doesn't mean it's one way. I uh, Use the breakout room feature and uh, I will get you out of your comfort zone if you join me. <laughs>
0: yeah, fantastic. So thank you everyone for zooming in this morning. Again, uh, thank you so much. Welcome back to Australia, as I said. Ladies and gentlemen, Vin Gang. This episode of Conversations with Thought Leaders was brought to you by Granite Consulting. To stay up to date with future episodes or access the library of past episodes, register for future events and other valuable resources. Follow the Conversations with Thought Leaders LinkedIn page or visit the website at www.cwtleaders.com.